0: Good morning. Before we begin, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Our Father in Heaven, we're so very thankful for uh, this time that we have to gather together as Your body, to share in Your Word. and We ask that You would speak to our hearts today, that You would help us to glean something that will uh, motivate us, encourage us to be faithful, be strong. We just thank You for the person sitting on our right and on our left, and the encouragement that they are, and the, uh, the joy that it is to be able to be a part of your body. We thank you, Father, for Jesus and for what He has done for us on the cross, and that's why we're here today. It's in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I'll ask you a question. How many of you enjoy reading mystery novels? Anybody? Eh, A few hands. A few more than first service. My mom is uh, responsible for me getting into and enjoying mystery novels. Now, The first author that she got me introduced wasn't really a mystery writer. Um, uh, It was a writer by the name of Alistair MacLean. And he wrote uh, novels around espionage and spy intrigue and and those kinds of things. And I can remember reading all of those novels and enjoying them when I was in uh, junior high and high school. And then I moved on to uh, to reading more kind of traditional murder mysteries. And uh, I've always enjoyed reading those. Uh, It was fun to uh, read the story and try to pick up on all the clues and Try to figure out you know who done it by the time the, the story is over, and mystery novels follow kind of the same pattern uh, you know there's uh, obviously a crime that's committed and and then someone uh, in the case of many authors that have the same detective you know that is the central character in most of them, and they uh, they investigate and uncover clues and eventually. Figure out who it was. If you're a mystery lover, then chances are you have probably read Agatha Christie, maybe the most famous mystery writer of all time. And uh, I can remember reading uh, her most famous mystery novel, Murder on the Orient Express. And I just, back just a couple of weeks ago, watched a film version of that again because uh, I enjoy it. And in Agatha Christie's novels, there are Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple. They are the uh, the detectives that are part of her stories. Uh, You have Auguste Dupin and you have, uh, of course, Sherlock Holmes and other writers. And and these stories uh, always seem to end up with the detective um, getting all these suspects into one particular place. You've read the Murder on the Orient Express, you know that all these suspects are enclosed in this one place on a train and uh, the murder has been committed and of course uh, at the very end uh, Poirot has to uh, reveal what what has happened uh, in terms of the murder. He gets everybody all together. Now if you've never read it, and you have any intentions of reading it, you might want to cover your ears, because um, at the very end of the novel, we find out that everybody did it, and it's a kind of an interesting, uh, different kind of murder mystery. And the word "mystery" actually comes from a, a Greek word musterion, that Paul uses a number of times in the New Testament uses it five times specifically in the book of Ephesians to refer to the mystery of the gospel and different aspects of the gospel. And when he uses that word mysterion or mystery, he's not talking about something that is mysterious, mystical, you know beyond our really our ability to understand. Instead, he uses that word in the same way we think of a murder mystery, where there are a number of uh, things that are being revealed over time, and ultimately we find out who done it in the end. It's a story that's going to have a reveal at the end of it. And this morning, what I want to do is to talk a little bit about this this mystery of the the gospel of Jesus Christ, but focusing on the things that help to reveal that mystery. The things that we have that are clues, if you will, or at least sources of clues in understanding and figuring out this this mystery. By the end of the message, I'm hoping that you will recognize and see the significance and the importance of your role in this whole process. <clears throat> now, the first um, revelation, if you will, of this mystery is creation. I want you to turn over to Romans. We're going to look at a, different, a lot of different scriptures today. And so I want you to bear with me, and if you can keep up, that's great. But we're going to look at a lot of different passages today. I want you to look at Romans chapter 1, starting in the 18th verse. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. That's a pretty powerful passage of Scripture because it tells us that regardless of our time and place, regardless of uh, where and when we are born, That there is enough of a revelation in creation for us to know of our Creator. It says that God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature are both revealed through His creation. Now, there was a Puritan minister a very famous minister by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards was a scholar. He was a a great preacher, although I think I've mentioned before that uh, people who described Jonathan Edwards' preaching were astonished by how really quiet and subdued he was um, in his presentation because when you read the words of his sermons, which is what we have left to us today, sermons like Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, it sends chills down your spine to read it. But he was very scholarly, very very thoughtful in how he wrote and how he spoke. And he wrote a work called Images <clears throat> of Divine Things. And Edwards believed, and You know, you can take whatever you will from this, but Edwards believed that based on this Scripture, that there were things all throughout creation, all throughout the universe, that were insights or images or types, if you will, of God Himself. We could learn about God's divine nature and His eternal power from some of these things in nature. He spent a lot of time observing and looking and, and connecting those things to truths that we understand from the Bible, but he also believed that you could see those things in these aspects of nature. In Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, it says, "...the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands, day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge." And he believed that by looking at these things, you could learn about God. He has some really interesting um, images that he wrote about in his work. One of them was uh, his view of the rose. He talked about how a rose um, gives us an image or is a type of Christ's suffering. That the rose itself, of course the plant has Thorns, which represent pain and suffering. And ultimately, through all of that, comes this beautiful bloom, which he equated to the results of Christ's suffering on the cross. The grace and the salvation that we receive. He talks about the, the sea billows, the storms, the waves in the ocean. And he equates those to the wrath of God the judgment of God. And the Scriptures actually do use that image as well in talking about it. And one of his most interesting is he talked about the image of the silkworm. The silkworm that uh, hopefully dies, comes back to life then, is recreated and creates this amazing silk that is used to create clothes, beautiful garments. He equated that to Christ. Who uh, went to the cross, died ultimately so that he could bring forth uh, himself and in, in clothing to uh, to clothe us in himself so Edwards had some really interesting ideas about looking at creation and seeing God, recognizing that that is a kind of a first way of us of our encountering this wonderful mystery. He also talks about the creation of man himself. That our very existence and our desire and our uh, need for God is an indication that our Creator exists. We were made to worship. We were made to encounter the one who created us. So creation is an important revelation, an important clue in our understanding this amazing mystery. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 1, starting in the first verse. And let's take a look at another revelation. Hebrews 1.1, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Another source of understanding this great mystery were the prophets. Prophets were men of God who spoke for God, shared the message that God wanted to share with His people. Says it many times in various ways. We look throughout the Old Testament, we see a number of ways in which God communicated his will and his plan to men. There were times when, when God appeared in the form of the angel of the Lord, called him Theophanes, where he appeared to people like Abraham and spoke to them. He spoke to people in dreams, people like Joseph. Daniel, others. He spoke in visions, providing them to to prophets. He used various signs and wonders or miracles in order to help communicate to the prophets. He even used objects, like a burning bush or a fleece. And so God, through the, the mouths of His prophets, revealed a lot of what His will and His plan was. We'd often talk about the revelation of God as the progressive revelation, meaning that God started from the very beginning, and as time went along, we learn more and more about God and His redemptive plan for man. We see more and we learn more about our relationship with Him and our responsibilities. We learn more about our position with God through time. And so in the Old Testament, we see these prophets revealing this as time goes along. In 2 Peter chapter 1, 19 through 19-21, it says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We understand that the the message of these prophets was not man's message. It was God's message. It was part of the way in which He reveals to us His will and His plan to redeem man. And in Amos 3, verse 7, says, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing His secret to His servants, the prophets. The lion is roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? So from the very beginning, it was always part of God's plan to reveal Himself through the prophets. All of this in the Old Testament... All of the prophecies, all of the teachings, all of the uh, trappings of the Jewish religion, the temple, sacrifices, all of those things were God preparing the way and leading us then to what we would call the final revelation of God. We go back to Hebrews chapter 1 again, to the second and third verse. The first verse said that in former times, God spoke to us through prophets, but in verses 2 and 3 it says, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus is the Final revelation of God. Now, there are a lot of voices out there. There are a lot of um, would be prophets who want to um, bring us a different word from God. Uh, There are a number of cults that have been springing up over the last few centuries. Uh, They come knocking on our door and telling us about a different message. But don't be deceived. The final word has been spoken by Jesus Christ. That there is nothing else that needs to be added. We see the culminating character of this revelation of God in Jesus Christ. The glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. In John chapter 1, we'll turn over there, another very interesting passage about Jesus. A very well-known verse of Scripture says, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now this word, word, in John chapter 1, is the Greek word logos. And the Greek word logos is a a root word that has come down into English, and we use it in a number of Uh, ways in our language. It's the root word for the word logic, for instance, the ability to reason and to think. It's also the the root that we see in the suffix ology, which we put on the end of a lot of words like biology and psychology, thinking about the knowledge or the understanding of something. And this word logos is uh, got a number of different nuances to it, a number of different meanings that I think are very important. And really to understand what it's saying here in John chapter 1, you kind of have to put them all together. One way of understanding it is that it is the essence of something, the logos. It is the meaning, in the same way that I have an idea, and when I express that idea, in a word that is kind of completing that idea in my head. I have a picture in my head of a cat, and I also have a word cat that comes out to express that. It is uh, ultimate communication. The complete expression of something. It is a total understanding of something. And so when the verse tells us that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God and later on in verse 14, which we'll read in just a moment, that the Word became flesh, we know that it's talking about Jesus as the complete expression, the absolute meaning, the very essence of God Himself. The final revelation. If you want to know what God is like, You can look to creation and find out some things from there. You can hear what the prophets said in the Old Testament. But you need to look to Jesus as the exact representation of His being. John goes on in those verses, he says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. (coughs) Jesus is referred to as the light. We all know that light, of course, is used to reveal things. want to find that you no know, box in the closet? You've got to turn the light on. You want to find something in the garage? You've got to take a flashlight with you at night. Light is used to reveal. And Jesus here, as the light, is revealing His Father. It says that the Word became a man. Lived amongst us. Lived within the very creation that He brought into existence finally, that last verse, if we want to, to see God, we need to look to Jesus. Now, if John's words in his Gospel are not enough and maybe a little bit you know, difficult to grab hold of, Paul didn't mince any words when he wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And in Colossians two nine, he said, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You know, Paul cut right to the chase and described exactly what is meant by those words in John chapter 1. Jesus was God. Now, Jesus, is, we would consider him to say that He then is the final revelation in the sense that there is no need for any other that all of the clues, all of the uh, elements that reveal this mystery to us point to Christ. We would say that he's, really, he's not the last of those revelations. He is the final revelation, but not necessarily the last. Because I think there are also some things that God uh, intends to be ways of revealing this mystery to us to the world as well. One of them, of course, then, is the Word of God. We've talked about the prophets in the Old Testament, but then also we have the voices of the apostles and prophets and those of the New Testament writers as well. That the Word of God then is revealing to us this final revelation of Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, it says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. It's a message that comes from God. That it is His revelation. And in John chapter 5, verse 39, you search the Scriptures, this is what Jesus says, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about Me. The Scriptures reveal this entire story. From the first verse of Genesis to the end of Revelation, the entire story of the Bible is centered on Jesus Christ. He is what the Revelation is about. All of the things that we know and understand about the Word of God are to point us to Jesus. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 22 and 23. We're going to look at that here in just a moment. We have the creation, which gives us insight into the divine nature and the eternal power of of God. We have the prophets, who through the Old Testament were pointing the way, showing us God's will and God's plan, and preparing us then for the arrival of the final revelation, Jesus Christ. We have the Word of God then, the inspired scriptures that put it all together and the story that it is centered around Jesus. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, we learn that the church itself is also a clue to this mystery. He puts all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. Who fills all in all. Now, that last expression there has been a challenging expression to kind of interpret over the years. There's different people that say different things about it, you know. But at its very minimum, it talks about that the body of Christ is full of Jesus, full of Him who fills all in all. The Bible tells us that the, you know, the church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head of that body. And you can imagine, of course, you know, in, in thinking through that analogy, that the head without a body is incomplete. And a body, of course, without a head, has absolutely no life or no direction or no purpose. And so... The church becomes another way of revealing to the world and showing the world who Christ was. When the church is uh, acting as the body of Christ, then it obviously is revealing what the head of the body is thinking. In Ephesians chapter 3, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That this mystery through the church is being made known to and throughout the heavens. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence to our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory, That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I think it's part of God's goal that the entire universe, all of God's creation, is going to be shown the the very person and nature of Jesus Christ through His church. He's going to show all of creation, all of the universe. The church. How He chose us. How He destined us. How He came for us and taught us and suffered for us, died for us, rose for us. How He reigns over us. How He called us, justified us, cleansed us, kept us, and is going to raise us and glorify us forever and ever with Him. The church is a way for the world to see and to know who Jesus is. And of course, that is a tremendous responsibility. There are some, some awesome um, things there for us to consider. That we, as the body of Christ, must be doing the will of the head. We must be following what Christ wants for the church. In order for us to reveal the true Jesus to the world. Otherwise, it's not sure what it's going to reveal. We need to be connected to that head so that we can reveal the correct things. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about some of the structure of the church, the, the establishment of the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, others. And in verse 13 of Ephesians 4, it says. We all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's our goal. The church, to become mature. To bring glory then to God through the body of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so when we are in submission to the head as the church, and we act in accordance with that, it reveals the nature of Jesus. And of course, the Scriptures also say then that the church, the body of Christ, is made up of individual members. You and I as individual Christians. You and I become then one of the final clues, if you will, to this amazing mystery of the Gospel. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, "...to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Christ living in each and every one of His people so that we can, in part, reveal that Christ of the world. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 Paul writes I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our lives need to reveal to the world the redeemed life. The grace of God at work in the life of the believer. When they see you When they see me, they need to see the grace of God at work. In John chapter 13, he wrote, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, each one of us is a way to reveal to whom we belong. The emphasis in that last part of the verse... By this all people will know that you are my disciples. Not just any disciples of anybody out there, but that you are mine. In Second Corinthians chapter four, six and seven. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Yesterday we um, had a funeral celebration for Jean Frederick. And those of you who know Gene and um, had a chance to fellowship with him here at the church, uh, work with him, spend time with him, know that Gene was uh, a revelation of the transformative power of Jesus Christ. That by looking at Gene's life, you could see how God and His grace was at work in his life. And that's what God desires for each one of us that we become a way to reveal that love and that grace to the world around us. When we love the unlovely, the world is going to see the Jesus who loved the unlovely. Spent time amongst those who were outcast and who were looked down upon by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When we freely forgive, the world will see a Jesus that is willing to forgive them of of their sins. When we display joy, even in suffering, people will see a Jesus who is willing to go to the cross because of the joyous consequence of His death on the cross, and that is our salvation. When we show grace to others who don't deserve it, then we see, and the world will see a Jesus who shows grace to us when we are undeserving. When we humble ourselves, people will see a Jesus who is willing to humble Himself, even to the point of going to the cross. When we keep our cool, when uh, people around us are making us angry, when we are careful with our words and how we communicate with other people, when we seek out holiness, when we stand up against those things in the world that are unholy and against the will of God, When we trust in Him every day for the things that we need and we refuse to worry about God's care for us, then we're going to reveal to the world a Jesus who does all those things as well. It's a great mystery. The plan and the redemptive progress throughout the Old Testament was ultimately revealed in Jesus Christ. And all of that comes together in understanding Jesus and the resurrection, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And we play a part in that mystery. The same way that creation reveals God's eternal power, His divine nature, the same way the prophets revealed God's plan, the same way that Christ reveals the, the very glory and nature of God, the Scriptures who point us to that same Jesus as the center of this entire plan of God. The church who reveals Jesus' work and ministry here. And finally, you, who reveal the results of God's grace in the life of the sinner. All those things point to, that, to the revelation of that great mystery that we call the Gospel. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, we're so very thankful that You have given us this place and this time, this role within Your church. And we know that we are fallible. We know that we sin. But at the same time, we know that that You have demonstrated Your grace and Your love for us. And by our desire to live faithful and true lives, that we are able to communicate that and to show that, to reveal that to to a world that needs you desperately. We pray, Father, that you would help us to go forth and, and to, to treasure that role that we have in your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.